This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, very excited to be joined here in studio with uh, Trevor Storrs. How you doing? Doing well, Jeff. Yourself? Pretty good. We just did a video. Uh, was that this week? I'm so. It was a week ago. Yeah, it was when I when I got back from Juno. So I'm, yeah. I'm in town this week. We're doing our assembly debates. Excellent. So we finished them all. We've got most of them posted. But we, uh, man, that was like kind of a marathon. Oh, seven of them. I've been there. I understand. So you're the president and CEO of the Alaska Children's Trust, and, and I'll link the video we did uh, in the studio downstairs last week. We talked about the kind of what happened in the legislature with David Eastman. We won't talk about that now, but I'll link that so people can listen to that. But we're not going to talk about it now, but I'll, 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 we talked about that last time. But um, I want to talk a little bit more about you and then the, the Children's Trust. We talked about that in the video. But um, for the folks listening, we actually met like – 12 or 13 years ago. I'm trying to think. I used to work at this company, Texer Us. It was like an mm-hmm. IT company, and you were the, the director of the forays. Yeah, uh, I worked for the statewide lead uh, HIV AIDS organization. Well, make up a little bit. Just there you go. Nice, buddy. There we go. Um, yeah, so we, we did some like IT database stuff, and that was, that was like in 2010. Yeah, it's been or uh, 11. It's been over a decade. So you were there for how many? You, you were there for a while, yeah? Uh, I was with them for nearly 10 years before I joined the Alaska Children's Trust back in 2012. And you're, how long have you been in Alaska? Are you from here or did you? No, uh, born and raised in Canada, but I've been in Alaska for oh, just yeah. shy of 26 years. I'm just going to have you move the mic. You want to just kind of talk directly into it. So try it again. Okay. There it is. Sorry, there I want to make sure I get, get the voice. Absolutely. I forgot. Yeah. So what, what, part of, what part of Canada? Southern Alberta, just above the Montana border. So this is like very, you know, with the oil, there's a lot of connection with Alberta. A lot of connection. Uh, our winters are a little shorter, but can be equally as cold and uh, sometimes just as snowy. You know, when I moved to Alaska, I was 19 and 04, and I'm from New Mexico. Mm. And my buddy and I drove, you know, we, the first day we got to Wyoming, and then the second day we got to Montana, and then we got to Alberta. And we're like, oh, shit, we're, you know, we're almost there. We're Little do we know, it's like three full days of <laughs> driving. Yeah, it's a pretty big country between, uh, as we say, the lower 48 and Alaska. But I went to Leth. We got in Lethbridge, mm-hmm. and I was 19. You know, you can drink in Canada either 18 or 19 or whatever. 18. And so the first thing we do is go to a bar, and we're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then we kind of we stayed there, and then the next, we were later in Calgary, and there was this little kind of dive bar we went to, and mm-hmm. we were in a hotel, and... There was a bunch of bikers, like like legit, like Hell's Angels type, you know, p- bikers like kind of partying, and they saw us. We were kind of talking to them, and we were like American, nineteen, we're young, and and, and at some point I was like, what, do you, "What were you guys, like, what are you guys celebrating?" You know, they were really, and they're, oh, you know, fucking Eddie just got out of you know the joint or something. I said, "Oh, I said, what was he in for?" Like, kind of just not young, and you know, they just kind of looked at me like we don't talk about that. I go like, "Oh my god, this is this is not what I thought Canada <laughs> was about." <laughs> 
I think they were being very polite with you and letting you know what they're willing and not willing to that, talk that's, about. That, that's that's correct. <laughs> Wait, so how, when, how old were you when you, like, how did you get to, was it like a NAFTA thing or how did you get? I moved uh, for graduate school in uh, Washington, D.C. in 95. And after graduate school, uh, the first job opportunity I had was up here in Alaska, working with a great group called the Ark of Anchorage. Oh, my friend Bryce is the, ch- the, the chair of the board of the Ark of Anchorage. Oh, right excellent. Yeah. Okay. And uh, was with them for five and a half years. And I was actually under NAFTA. And then I got uh, my green card and my citizenship. And I've been in the U.S. ever since 95. So you're in D.C. How did you get to, how the Ark or the, how the Alaska thing come up? They, uh, so I went to an all deaf university, the only one in the world called Gallaudet. And they, at the time, their Ark of Anchorage was running what's called a student living center, which was for all deaf kids. Uh, coming like, like from, deaf, like you can't, you can't hear? Correct. Why'd As, you go to a, were you, were you deaf or? No. I think you know I'm you're not, not I mean, maybe you got, you're not <laughs> deaf. Maybe you no. had so, a hearing. Uh, no, uh, I just fell in love with sign language and it was a great opportunity to develop a skill set, but also uh, it's an, only deaf people can attend the university at the undergraduate level, but at the graduate level, uh, it is focused in on working within the deaf community. So that's for interpreting, vocational rehab, school counselors, psychologists, teachers. So when you when you when you nature. were there, I mean, you're you're basically using sign language all the time to communicate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many other people were there? Like that weren't deaf when you were there were there I mean it's a few well, or? a good number of us in the graduate program but uh, they have uh, several more that attend the undergraduate program so uh, they the Ark of Anchorage uh, had a program to work with all the uh, kids that would fly into the deaf school the Alaska uh, State School for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing and I managed that program for them so that's how I learned about it I interviewed with them and saw it as a great opportunity to move to a wonderful state so when you heard Alaska I mean that's not totally dissimilar from from Canada I mean it's close it's you know climate similar a little bit so well from being from Canada I had the goal of uh, maybe moving somewhere warmer uh, but I you, went, you the went the opposite you went the other way. <laughs> I went the other way I got confused between north and south I think so you had like what is it, what's it like a treaty NAFTA visa like a T is that TN? Uh, I had a TN. Yeah. I, I thought about at some point you know I was younger because you Americans can you know, the other way too. You go to mm-hmm. Canada and it's, yep. it's not totally. I think if you have a job, it's pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about now after the whole Trump th- they changed. Yeah, NAFTA. I, NAFTA is very different today. But uh, back in my day, there was specific occupations that you could fall under, and I fell under one of those and was able to work here, um, and then. Uh, I met my husband here, and we moved things forward, and got my green card, and then my citizenship. So, did you ever think about doing the other way, like the Commonwealth? I mean, you could have gone to Australia or like all these other countries. It would have been easier to. It would have been straightforward to go to those too, with with being Canadian. Well, honestly, I didn't look at uh, leaving Canada. It was just an opportunity, and it was an opportunity to go to a school and focus in on something that I had great passion for at that time and really develop uh, a skill set. So I took advantage of being able to do that. And then, of course, started establishing roots and also saw the opportunity to come up here and then really establish those roots. And I've been here for nearly 26 years. Beat, beat me. I've been here about nine, almost 20, 19. Okay. So. Yeah. Uh, this might be a kind of dumb question. I want to go back to the deaf, deaf thing. So sign language, it's, 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 it's uh, unique to each language, right? Like if somebody has a Russian or Chinese sign language, 
That's different than American sign language, right? Correct. So you so you you you, you can communicate in American sign language with people that speak English, but but or English, I guess. But if somebody's in a different, it's a whole different deal. All different like gestures or correct. So there are different forms of sign language in uh, different countries. No different than spoken language. When I speak English, uh, and I'm in China, there's uh, the likelihood of people not understanding both ways, right? Uh, same. If I go and use American sign language, but someone knows Chinese sign language, it's going to be hard. However, has anybody ever thought about doing like a yes just an international? Yeah, it doesn't. It's no different than other other forms of languages and have they formed. However, with sign language, there's a lot of gesturing. So sign language is uh, it's using the same body mechanics, right? You're using your hands and your body. And uh, you may not know what a sign is, but you can start connecting uh, just through gesturing. Uh, many of our teachers would talk about going to foreign countries and they could just gesture. A great place uh, that was always talked about was Italy. Uh, deaf or hearing, they do a lot of gesturing. Yes, they're always, yes. Very, yes, very they understand body language. Body language is universal. So there was ways of communicating through body language. And the, it's definitely uh, easier in that sense when you have an understanding of body language to be able to communicate versus just using uh, verbal language only. So you came up here for, for, for that job, but then you went to the, what was your next job? Was it the four A's or was mm -hmm. it? Yeah, worked with the four A's for 10 years and coming on now 11 years with the Alaska Children's Trust. So we talked about this in the video, um, but basically the Children's Trust was formed um, in the 90s, I guess. Well, uh, the Children's Trust was actually formed in 88 under uh, legislation only, so name only. And then in the mid-90s, under the Knowles administration, he restructured it and it got endowed. And we had our very first uh, board of trustees uh, selected and then also a nonprofit to do the fundraising side of things to help grow the trust and the endowment was formed at the same time. And they worked side by side. And in the mid-2000s, they came together for a variety of reasons, but determined to be most effective towards our mission, which is the prevention of child abuse and neglect, was to uh, become independent from the state. So uh, governors, uh, three uh, actually governors supported this, as well as our legislature and the Children's Trust became independent in 2012. So unlike the Mental Health Trust, where the legislature kind of oversees the budget, so Children's Trust no, is a separate. It's completely I guess separate. private, mm -hmm. or it's it's, yeah. own, its own. It's Sometimes own thing. they say uh, the mental health trust is quasi-state, uh, where uh, versus being a direct state agency, because obviously they are able to go out and speak. They have a board that oversees them, but they have greater freedom of over their budget, but also of how they advocate and intervene or speak to what's going on on the state or within our state. And as a nonprofit, we have complete independence. So you, you mentioned this on, on, you know, the the reducing child abuse. I mean, is that the core mission? Are there other missions or is that kind of the no, core? No, that is our core mission is 100% around primary prevention towards the prevention of child abuse and neglect. And when you were testifying in the legislature recently, there was a whole presentation on, on the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences. And, and over the, you know, this term I heard maybe for the first time a couple of years ago, but it seems to be more more common or it's being talked about more about how these adverse childhood experiences um, we can talk about some of the different traumas, and I think you have a good example of stress, like a good stress and a, a bad stress and a toxic stress on a kid. We could talk about that, but um, I think people are becoming a lot more aware that, you know, if a, if a kid has a really 
tough, bad childhood, it can have, and we kind of intuitively know that, but we know maybe a little more about just how bad that can, how, what impact that can have, you know, on later in life. Yeah, when the study came out on uh, adverse childhood experiences, uh, one, it just cemented what many of us knew, that when a child is exposed to very uh, toxic things like forms of child abuse or a care provider that is struggling with substance misuse or is in corrections or is dealing with mental health, things of that nature, it puts them at greater risk for many of the social physical and behavioral ills our community struggles with, whether we're talking liver disease, heart disease, smoking, uh, being part of the correctional system, not graduating, things of that nature. Some of us were like the duh study in the sense like not a surprise that our brain in its most important time, which is zero to five in development, when it's exposed to this very toxic stress, always under the threat of being potentially harmed or and neglected things of that nature would put you at greater risk of challenges later on in life. Yeah, there was, this is kind of related, but there was, you know, talking about growing up and, and, and that time where your brain's developing. Um, I think it was Tipping Point or which, which book? It was a Malcolm Gladwell book, but it talked about kind of a lot of these kids in, in, in these areas, maybe single parent or the, the parents aren't as involved. When they go to summer, you know, summer break, they lose that time of three months of learning where the other kids, maybe their parents put them in a program or something. And there was this program in, in New York that put these kids, a lot of these disadvantaged, they put them in these very intensive 10 hour, 12 hour a day year round. And, and they saw, you know, just when, when, when they're exposed to that kind of nonstop kind of education and, and learning, they, they, you know, performed extremely well. And I think a lot of, you know, I was telling you on our video, the friend of mine that was in uh, big brothers, big sisters, uh, he had a, years ago had a big brother, a little brother here in Anchorage and took him on a hike one day and the kid was from Mountain View, born and raised in Alaska. And he was commenting, the kid was saying how great the mountains were. And, and he said, well, yeah, you're so lucky, you know, you live here. And he goes, this is, this is a 12 or 13 year old right. kid, first time in the mountains. Well, and I think that's a, a great example. It's not always about the formal education. There's a lot of education that we get through informal as well. Um, so it's not always about learning how to read and do math. All of those things are very critical uh, with our education, especially as we're growing a workforce, things of that nature. But, you know, you you need to be book smart as well as life smart, as they say. You need to street, develop... Street smart. Yeah. You need to develop those social emotional skills, the things that we get exposed to, uh, whether uh, the things that you learn by being part of a sports team or... Uh, interacting at your local comic book store that's doing games uh, like D&D, things of that nature, to ballet or other arts, all of those things. There's no one education. Like, just learn how to read and math and you'll be successful. That's not who we are as people, and we really want to expose. Having uh, opportunities to be outdoors and see what the world uh, looks like out uh, on the trail systems, uh, as you mentioned, things of that nature, what it really provides uh, a child in the developing brain. And also remembering that the brain doesn't fully develop until your mid-20s. Mm-hmm. So anytime that we can be exposed to new things, um, it really starts developing a very strong skill set. And as we say, make somebody well-rounded versus just an expertise in one single area. Well, I know, and I've, I've said this before, but like my parents didn't go to college, but my, you know, my dad was very, very smart and he always used to impress upon me, you know, you need to do better than I, I did. And they were, had me a little bit later. So they had maybe a little more freedom, freedom or um, ability than if you're having, you know, kids when you're younger. 
but it was it was always encouraging me to challenge myself in school, um, doing extracurricular activities. I, I learned to fly gliders. I was in Civil Air Patrol. I you know I played the cello, but a lot of that was my parents were encouraging mm-hmm. me to do those things. And other kids, I remember growing up, their parents. I don't want to say weren't involved, but they really weren't, they didn't have as much involvement and the kid didn't really, wasn't encouraged as much, some of my friends. Well, one of the things we do know when we're looking at, because people have asked, you know, you can take identical kids with identical experience, but one doesn't experience the same uh, challenges, whether we're talking doesn't enter the correctional system, doesn't graduate, things of that nature what allows somebody who has similar adversities to, as we would say, succeed, whereas others uh, may be facing those challenges. And research has been able to show one of the key things that's really important to a child's life and success is having one caring adult that you trust and go to Mm. other than your primary care providers. And that's what a lot of these programs do. They interconnect you to other mentors, people in your life, formal or informal, whether they're teachers, coaches, just somebody in the community that uh, will have a lasting impact. I've talked to many of people, and it's not you. It's not these always these big formal programs uh, that make the difference. Although those definitely have a, a key place. But when I've talked to folks, they're like, "Yeah, I didn't realize that." I've had people come back and go, "You know, when you did this one little thing, it wasn't oh, you know, when you taught me math, it was like." when you said that I could be anything I wanted, that really touched me and I realized. When you asked that one day how I was doing and that you cared about me, it changed my pattern. Uh, It got me thinking, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And I know as uh, myself, who dealt with my own trauma as a kid, uh, those people uh, played a very significant role and ensured that I'm actually here today speaking to you versus uh, potentially not. Mm -hmm. Um, so really looking and understanding what the, uh, trauma can do, uh, and understanding what we can do as a community. You can't prevent all trauma from happening. We're human. We also live in an unpredictable world. Things can happen. What's really important is then do we have the necessary knowledge, skills, supports, and resources to deal with that trauma? And if we don't, are we as a community providing that, whether it be through counseling, whether it be time off, whether it be whatever, uh, making sure that that uh, individual and family and potentially communities can experience these levels of toxic stress, get that knowledge, skill, support, and resources to be thriving. Because when they're thriving, the risk of child abuse and neglect and many other issues is greatly reduced. Yeah, this is a little more a broad question, but I, mean, I remember when I was growing up, I had a counselor that, Ms. Cochran, I remember her name, you know, she was very, mm-hmm. somebody I could talk to, she, she was always willing to listen. I had some teachers too. You know, we all have people, hopefully we all have people growing up like that. But um, I guess kind of more broadly, there's been other states have proposed laws and it seems like with kids now in school and it's like, it's gotten to the point where people feel like they can't talk about certain things. You know, there's a bill now the governor just introduced and it deals with kind of some of this gender stuff. But I mean, it seems like it's gotten so strange where people don't know what they can talk about or what, who they should talk to sometimes. Well, I think each individual, uh, whether laws are passed or not, uh, everybody needs to one. I guess uh, teachers and I'm talking about counselors. uh, Yeah, Uh, and that can vary from school district to school district, uh, from individual, their own preferences, all of that kind of stuff. But again, what it comes back to is if a 
a child knows that there's somebody that they can go to that they can trust and ask for help, uh, it makes the world a difference. As much as we all want our kids to be coming to us and always asking and needing that help, that doesn't always happen. Um, so who else can they go to and what does that look like and making sure that they have that. Uh, whether they use it or not, doesn't matter. As long as they know that it's available to them, it greatly transforms um, them as individuals and really helps uh, lessen that uh, impact from that toxicity that they might have experienced either at home or within the community. So you mentioned um, in our, our video interview these different kinds of stresses, and I thought that was interesting about, I think you gave the example of a Taking test. a test, yeah. So there's like three types of uh, stressors. There's positive, negative, and toxic. And the way I talk about those is positive is like, oh, I have a test tomorrow. You know, you have that looming deadline. You feel that pressure. But that's a good experience. Kids should be experiencing stress, especially positive stress, because it starts to train us and teach us how you deal with maybe not so positive stressors. But also life is full of stress. Uh, when we go to work, there's deadlines and expectations that can create stress. So by going through these, we start building that knowledge, skills, supports, and resources I was talking about. Negative stress is still an experience. Uh, we can't prevent it uh, at all times, but it's like when you get a D on that test. So, oh, negative, and that could have uh, impact on my grade and so forth. The toxic stress is, oh, when I get home, I'm going to get hit because of this D. Mm -hmm. So those are the three types. And some are preventable, some aren't, and some are good for you, and some are definitely not. But there's toxic stress, again, like the loss of a loved one, a parent. Definitely at a younger age can be more toxic compared to uh, I'm 60 and I lose my parents because they're 90, things of that nature. But there's still some toxicity to it. You can't prevent that. But again, if we build a community and an infrastructure with around uh, individuals that ensure that they have the knowledge, skills, supports, and resources to thrive, when that toxicity happens, they're prepared to deal with it. And what I mean by that is it's that old analogy, can you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Mm -hmm. That's what those four things give you. It gives you a sense that there's light at the end of the tunnel. If you don't have the knowledge, skills, supports, and resources, you just feel the darkness and there's no hope. And that's when we start seeing problems. I mean, I'm going to mention another Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell book. Have you read David and Goliath? No. So there's a whole chap chapter in there about, um, it's kind of interesting about is some of these very, very, very successful people. And I'm blanking on some of the names, but they had a parent die at a young age. And he's not, they aren't saying that if your parent dies, you're going to be successful. But what they found was um, sometimes when a child, the young age as a parent die, they, they deal with it in a way that, it does, you know, kind of make them stronger. Not always, but there was this whole kind of study and all these very, very, very successful, and they, they found a way to, you know, make, make them, made them stronger in some cases. And it was really interesting, some of the names of these people who lost parents at a very young right. age and very successful people in business or in politics. Yeah. Or, well, I, I'm i assuming you're not suggesting that all kids should experience a loss no, of No, parents. no, no, no. <laughs> this is one of those things where you would never, right. it's, it's, but, it's an economic thing, thing where you would never do it, but we, right. when you have data, you can look at the data right. afterwards. But, well, it's... It's not so much that, okay, they lost a parent and that creates X. What it's doing is it's talking about well, what kind of environment um, and what's going on. 
So I think it is, well, what can happen when someone does experience um, a toxic stress like the loss of a parent? And I bet you if we started uh, looking at that book, it's my assumption, I haven't read it, is those individuals probably had uh, another loving adult in their life outside of their primary care provider who was still in their life if the um, if they were still around. They probably uh, got some uh, counseling and supports. They were able to. So we started wrapping around the support. Uh, you've heard the old saying, it takes a community to raise a child. As we say. It takes a village. Right. Uh, we say community, but uh, the old one is it takes a village. As we say, it takes parents to raise a child, but it takes a community to uplift those parents. So when you're uplifting those parents and one of them does uh, pass away, especially in a child's life at a young age, that community is there. It almost acts as a safety net. And uh, and it is amazing what when you have that knowledge, skills, supports, and resources, you can face those that kind of toxic and negative stress head on, and you can build uh, some amazing skill set uh, from that. As they say, you learn more from your failures, that negative stress, than you do from your successes mm-hmm. because you're forced to face those. Um, and so it's not a surprise that when you have those experiences, what can bloom out of it? As they say, what can grow out of the ashes of a phoenix? So unfortunately, Alaska, you know, we have high rates of abuse and we talked about that on our, our video interview, but I guess why, why is that? And, and is, is, how do we, how do we improve right. that? I mean, I know it's been for a long time. We've yeah. the wrong, wrong end of the, that scale. Uh, well, and everything's per capita. If you just look at raw numbers compared to other states, cause we have a small population, it's small numbers. But when you look at per, per capita, we have uh, some really large challenges in our state. And why is that happening? One is really looking at how do we invest in our communities and how we most importantly invest in our children and families. We have seen overall funding going towards children and families decreasing uh, in one of our studies. It's a couple of years old now, but over a 10-year period, we saw about a 13% decrease, which is about $400 million uh, less investment. And that means whether we're talking education, whether we're talking social service programs, the things that are needed to help build that knowledge, skills, supports, and resources, both in the child, in our youth, our families, and our community, less investment means less of that uh, passing on uh, and creating those skill sets, which makes things very challenging. Um, And one of the things to remember is it's taken us decades to be where we are today. This did not happen overnight. So... We see sometimes like these flash investments. Oh, we're going to do X. Well, they only do X and it only lasts a year or two. Well, it's taken us 30 years to be where we are today. Two years isn't going to make the difference. You're barely scratching the surface. But also understanding it's not just one thing. Oh, we're just going to give money to this issue. It's all intertwined. You have to be dealing with the person as a whole and not one sliver of them because that one sliver will not make uh, a difference uh, compared to uh, the overall person. It's like a big bucket of water. You want to make it green. If you just put a drop of uh, green dye in because it's coming up to St. Patty's, that whole bucket doesn't turn green. You need to put a lot in to transform that. Mm. You need to get to all of it. Same idea as a person. One aspect of them will not change uh, all projections. You really need to look at it from a holistic standpoint. Well, and speaking of that, you're, you're part of a, a group right now or an initiative. There's a ballot question on the upcoming Anchorage ballot. And 
It's dealing with. I was wondering if we're going to get here. I was going to. I'm on. I'm on top of things. Uh, it's dealing with. I guess the is it the marijuana tax. Correct. The, the revenue from the marijuana tax to to go into child care, and also there's a there's a part of it that lowers the tax cap. I guess so maybe, maybe talk about this initiative, and I think I've written about it a little bit, but I think probably most folks aren't haven't heard about it because it's kind of the. They happen towards the end, and the ballots go out next week. So talk a little bit about this initiative or, or ballot question. Right. So related to everything we were talking to or talking about beforehand is we know the best time to invest in our kids is early on. But we also know that uh, the first few uh, years of a child's life, uh, when we have our kids, we're at, uh, as individuals, you're usually at your lowest uh, income uh, earning um, your also just developing your own knowledge, skills, supports, and resources around having a family and so forth. So recognizing that this is an important time, as well as recognizing that our community, one of the things that we've been hearing over and over again is, is that there is a lack of child care and uh, early childhood services that are really impacting our kids and our families and impacting the economy. People aren't able to return to work uh, because of this. Uh, a high number of people can't afford childcare, even if they get a state subsidy. The percentage that they have to cover is so much higher that they can't even afford it. I have friends that I think you know childcare is a thousand or dollars a month or more, mm-hmm. well, which is I mean that's twelve thousand, fifteen thousand a year. Yeah. That's, a, that's a lot of money. It's more than going to a university. So putting your kid into childcare costs you more than going to university at this point here in our state, as well as we know that. Uh, th- those who are working in the industry are paid less than a grocery store clerk, but yet have greater responsibility. We also know that uh, programs are closing down. There's a lot of things. We also recognize, like in our schools, one of the major increases of cost is special education. And one of the things you always want to do is have a, um, kids go through developmental screening uh, process so you can identify any challenges or issues early so by the time they get to school they're hopefully resolved and special education isn't required but because we're not doing any of this upfront this primary prevention we're seeing more issues greater costs so what we're proposing is one of the ways of addressing this is to establish a child care and early childhood um, education fund we would be dedicating all current marijuana funds so here in Anchorage only. So it's not the state. It will be the Anchorage funding. It's currently at 5% and would bring in 5 to $6 million. This would go into a, a specific fund. It would be overseen by uh, a board, a board of people, of experts in the field, people that provide child care, parents, so uh, directly those with lived experiences, educators, People of so not, not me. Not you, not you. <laughs> of my knowledge. I'm not, I'm not going to the board. <laughs> they will then determine how best to use those dollars because you can't just give it to one thing. Uh, they really need to look at the spectrum and figure out, all right, how do we grow our child care industry? How do we get people paid more? How do we create more spots? How do we support organizations in building? And we're looking at what we call a mixed use and what we mean by that is it doesn't just go to schools. We don't have universal child care like we have universal public education. So how do we help the uh, uh, small shops that are in the homes to your medium size to your large uh, preschool and child care systems throughout Anchorage? 
and making sure that they have staff, that they're able to expand and create more spots, as well as making it affordable for the families to actually utilize. The board will be looking at these uh, aspects and determining a three to five year plan on how to implement and use these dollars. So is this, uh, I didn't check, but is this one of those 60% vote things or no? Because sometimes when it's like a, a no. certain with money, I, I know sometimes it needs 60%. Maybe, that, maybe that's like a tax, lower, uh, raising the tax cap. By uh, the assembly. Uh, the mic there. Yeah. The assembly will uh, approve this uh, unanimously to be put on the ballot in April. So we're very excited. So 12 to zero, uh, unanimous support of seeing that this uh, gets put on the ballot. And by being able to do that, we just need, as they say, 50 plus one. Okay. So, yeah, I, you know, I've told this story many times, but I spent time in Australia, and a friend of mine, he's an electrician, his wife's a teacher, and um, I'm not exactly sure of the, of the policy, but I, I know she got a year off work, and she was paid for most or all of it by the government. It wasn't the full wage, but it was right. a level yeah. of money, and then they have to hold the job. So right. it's a whole different, I mean, I think. Well, and this is very different from that. So I don't want anybody no, to be thinking about creating parental leave or, or supporting uh, people to be off for a year. That's a whole nother conversation. Right, no, I'm just saying gen- generally I think we have ch- these challenges. And mm-hmm. in other countries it's easier, you know, when you do have a kid, they make it, you know, easier to have more time off. And right. I, I think in those, it's not, it's not, I don't think, I mean, in those places they have the, the birth rates higher. Right. Well, and I just uh, read in the Alaska Trends magazine, we've heard the, uh, Anchorage Economic Development Corporation speak to it and others. We have been seeing a migration in our uh, city as well as in our state. So people are leaving. We also for see- ten year, For 10 years. Yes, for 10 years. We also see that the working age, uh, the number of people available to work. Uh, we have the baby boomers who are retiring. Uh, after COVID, we know that there and still is, there's massive demand for people. And people get to decide right now, where am I gonna live? And a lot of families are looking at going, it's not a value to them to live here in Anchorage and at times in Alaska because we are not providing the same support. We're not providing the same access to knowledge, skills, supports, and resources. Well, I, I've just, like I said, I've, this week I've been doing these assembly debates, and one of the questions I was asking is, you know, we've, we've lost population for 10 years. We have a very high cost of housing. It's almost half a million dollars here in Anchorage. Uh, the, supply, the supply of housing is a problem. I mean, mm-hmm. they're building more in the valley. Um, the snow plowing, all these different, com- you know, you combine all these things. And if you have a young family or if you want to consider coming here and you look at this stuff, or if you're already here and you say, shit, you know, I, could, I was in for New Year's, I went to visit my buddy in Phoenix with his wife. And it's like, obviously the climate's a little di- different, but, you know, buildings going up, construction, housing, businesses, or, you know, Intel, Wells Fargo, Toyota, there's like, you can just feel like there's a lot going on. The energy and the investment. And, and we just don't have, I mean, the, like I talk about this a lot. The park strip last summer, I took a picture. It was the grass was all fucking dead. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's like our big draw, right? The park strip right. downtown. And you just don't feel like, I've been here since 04. And, and, and I used to remember when I was younger, maybe it's nostalgia, but it was just felt a lot yeah. more energetic here. And Well, I think what you're getting to is the real question to the folks, uh, to the voters, um, by April 4th uh, for the municipality election is, do we want to invest in the future of Anchorage? And this is one of those really key investments. Without this, we won't- uh, The childcare. Right, the childcare. We will not have a a workforce. People will have other options. People are already ahead of us. Other communities are already doing this. Uh, Lower 48, all over, they are investing in childcare and early um, 
uh, education. And if we don't stay competitive, it's about mm-hmm. being competitive. Well, even, you know, getting back to the building, I mean, I think Seattle, there's a lot of problems that city has um, that we don't, maybe some of the you know, policing stuff, there's been controversy. But when I go to Seattle, there's like cranes all over downtown. They're building things or they're doing stuff. And we don't have that really. Right. I mean, there's little, that key bank they're kind of redoing, but. Um, we need we, to become attractive. We, we could attract so many people here, tech workers on the West Coast, you know, very expensive in California and Seattle, finance, people in finance. With COVID, now you can work. And I just feel like we should be on the forefront of saying, do you want to go hiking? Do you want to, do you like skiing? Do you want to do the, uh, live in Anchorage and you can, in 20 minutes, be, in, you know, in these amazing places that some people spend their whole life to see. But we're not really doing that. We're not, uh, we're not creating that future. And again, that's what we think Prop 14 uh, does, or at least start setting the stage. And one of the questions has been, uh, that people have asked us is going, all right, well, what's this money currently being used for? And as part of the general fund, we're pulling that out. The marijuana tax revenue. Right. So how do we fill potentially that void uh, that's being created? There's a couple things to think about. One, we know uh, this, and, and we recognize, because let's, Let's put it on the table, Jeff. The key question that people ask is, will this impact my property tax? Even though we in Anchorage mm-hmm. have uh, pay very little in tax. Yes, we have property tax. But when you add all the taxes in Alaska, we're last for the amount of taxes in Anchorage. Yeah, well, there's, no, right there's there. no income tax right. or sales and tax. So I think we're the only state without either. Right. And as a city, we don't have either. So, because um, some cities in Anchorage actually have a sales tax. So well, in Alaska, in yeah. Alaska. Yes. Thank you. So when, uh, we're looking at this, it's like, all right, one, uh, we know that there's still dollars coming in that, uh, through the COVID relief dollars that are helping. We also know that our bed tax and our, uh, rental car, uh, combined, uh, brought in an extra $20 million. And we expect uh, to have that or greater, uh, in the next coming years. So we know that our current budget, even with inflation, if we don't increase it, all that other revenue fills that. Mm-hmm. And I share that is because if we don't, I've been taught this. One, you can't make money without spending money. So if we actually want to see- You spend money to make money. Right. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. If we want to see com- uh, companies come here and set up shop, if we want local Anchorage people- to not only stay here, but maybe uh, create their own small to medium-sized business, anything of that nature, we need to invest in our city. And Prop 14 is the first step of doing that. It's probably one of the most uh, key things we can be doing and has been identified not only by the local chamber, but as the uh, nation, uh, the U.S. Chamber, as well as our Economic Development Corporation, that it's in one of the top things that we can be addressing is childcare and early childhood education. Because uh, not only does it attract people, it actually also starts building the mm-hmm. workforce that we need. It is a true investment in not in just today, but our future as a city. Sounds like that would be a great ad on top of the Alaska Landmine website, you know, really, really reach the folks. <laughs> I will pass that on to the campaign manager. Absolutely. Well, Trevor Story, it's been great talking to you. Like I said, we go back, you know, thir- I think 13 years. So yeah. it's, uh, time, time sure does fly, doesn't it? It does fly. Well, you're uh, president and CEO of the Alaska Children's Trust. Great discussion. I really, really enjoyed this and 
Hopefully I'll see you in Juno again. I know I've seen you in Juno a few times. So. Oh, you'll definitely. Uh, they, are I, they going to have you back? They, they, you're, you're a big draw. <laughs> well, <laughs> somewhat of a draw, but yeah. And I just really appreciate it. I hope people check out uh, Prop 14. Uh, if you just look up uh, Care for Kids, uh, Anchorage will take you to the website. You can learn more. We encourage people to uh, get behind this and let's help build uh, a successful and supportive uh, community for current and future families here in Anchorage. And I should say one more thing. This isn't really, um, I could say bipartisan. It's you and then and Sarah Ward's involved, who's, who's a kind of Republican conservative, you know, Person, so it's kind of got a broad. Group oh of- my God! Yeah, Fred Dyson, Sarah Rasmussen, uh, as well as Ivy Spunholz mm-hmm. and Eric Croft. You have people. I people just read the ADN. You see a great article op-ed from Eric Croft and Fred Dyson uh, in there today, um, and just talking about yeah, we may have some differences, but one thing we all have in common is that we all recognize that kids are our most valuable resource and we need to invest in them. And by investing in them, we invest in the future of Alaska. Well, thanks a lot, Trevor. Really good talking to you. And uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll see you again soon. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Trevor Storrs from the Alaska Children's Trust. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.